You're listening to the Awesome Podcast Network. The Awesome Podcast Network presents The Republic City Report, a Legend of Korra podcast. I'm your producer, Jesse Sedgley. Put your hands together for your host, Republic City correspondent, Tim Bridgewater Bender. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode five of Republic City Report, Legend of Core podcast. Of course, I'm your host, Tim Bridgewater Bender. I want to thank you all for coming back again this week to check me out. Let's talk Cora. Of course, I want to give everyone a reminder here that this is sort of a fan feedback sort of podcast. So I highly encourage that you send your emails to republiccityreport at gmail.com. Head over to Facebook, like the page, facebook.com slash republiccityreport. And then I'll come on air, read your questions, and we'll talk about them. I uh, did address the question last week from Victoria. Thank you again for sending that in. And this week, I actually have another email from Henry that I'm going to address a little bit later on in the show that kind of pertains to the, the Aang and his age question that I asked in prior episodes, as well as he's given some of his general thoughts and opinions on the rest of the season. And we will discuss all of that as well. Okay, so let's just jump right on into it. This week's episode was, of course, Chapter 4, Civil Wars, Part 2. And basically just picked up right where the last episode left off. If you can recall, if you remember that Tunrock and Korra's mother, whose name I have a very hard time remembering, sorry, (laughs) uh, were basically arrested uh, for conspiracy to assassinate Korra's uncle Unalak. Um, and this episode pretty much picked up where that left off with them being taken off to jail and having to face trial for that. And of course, Cora is keeping her stance, uh, feeling that her parents are innocent and don't have anything to do with it. Now, we actually get to see Asami again in this episode, who just kind of disappeared for a quick minute. But she's back, uh, of course, along with Mako and Bolan. And so we've kind of we've kind of getting the gang back together here, which is fun and which we I can appreciate. Although I do admit that these uh, the supporting characters, they're not getting as much attention so far this season as they did in the first season. Um, But that's not necessarily a bad thing, but I, I don't want to lose sight of them as individual characters because they can kind of start to become uh, kind of monotonous and repetitive and lose their distinguishing characteristics if we just kind of have them helping out Korra all the time. Now, they're doing a pretty good job with Bolin and giving him some other things to do with this little side romance uh, comedic story with uh, Eska. But uh, even that, of course, in this episode is kind of dying out a little bit because now by the end of this episode, uh, there's basically a war now between Korra and the Northern Water Tribe. Um, So let's take it back a little bit. Now, of course, her parents go to trial and her mom is found innocent um, of what they're being accused of. But her father is found guilty. Obviously, this is going to upset Cora. Now, through a turn of events here, we find out, of course, that something that we all knew 
the whole time. Something that I had been talking about for every episode of this podcast so far. It's pretty obvious. Unalak is the bad guy. Now, we finally kind of get to see that in this episode. And, you know, we find out because he was doing some underhanded things and like things like paying off judges and Cora. Cora... Cora really impressed me this episode, and she also kind of scared me a little bit this episode. Uh, I really appreciated it, but she was very adamant in, in terms of proving that her parents are innocent, and even if she couldn't, she was basically just ready to bust her dad out of jail. She was, um, for, for a moment, they, actually, they were actually sentenced to, to die for their quote-unquote treason that they occurred and I, I i recall her saying something to the tone of you can't do this if you take their lives i'll take yours now that was <laughs> that was a quote out of cora's mouth and i'm older so i can appreciate that kind of stuff and that excited me that <laughs> you know i i got i got goosebumps when she said that uh but honestly i was not expecting such a direct forward sort of threat from her but we have to remember that this is an ang this is cora you know she's a completely different person completely different personality she handles things a lot differently and i honestly i can i can appreciate it especially now it's it's coming down to her parents you know you're, you're hitting her where where it hurts the most and she's gonna you don't want to paint cora into a corner so at the same time we also tenzin is off on his own adventure there and he finally comes across Iki again his daughter if you recall from last episode she was missing and that episode kind of gave us some time to learn a little bit about Tenzin's history with his brother and sister uh, Bumi and Kaya and as well as Aang and how he was as a father now this episode Tenzin's by himself right at the beginning he finds Iki so problem solved nothing to worry about there She's basically in a cave uh, having a tea party with a couple of flying bison, of which I'm going to take a little moment here. And this is going to be my first question for this episode. So please, by all means, someone send me an email at republiccityreport at gmail.com if you can answer this question, because maybe my memory is just that bad. But was Appa not the last sky bison? I think I may have said air bison earlier. Sorry, sky bison. Because we know that Aang was the last airbender, and I was under the impression that there were no more sky bison either, because the Fire Nation had wiped out everyone and everything to do with the air temple. Uh, but there are more sky bisons now, and this is the first time that we've seen this. I mean, even in uh, season one of The Legend of Korra, we got to see Tenzin's sky bison. And ever since I saw that episode, I was wondering. Well, where did this other sky bison come from? Did Appa have children? Are we supposed to be under the impression that Appa can reproduce uh, asexually and have kids? I mean, I don't think that there's something that they ever really elaborated on. All we know now is that there are more sky bison. Where they come from, I don't know. Anyone have a theory? Anyone have an answer? Um, maybe, maybe they addressed it in the show and I just forgot. Anyway, send me an email at republiccityreport at gmail.com or leave me a comment on facebook.com slash republiccityreport. Anyway, back to the episode. So here we have Iki and having a tea party. Tenzin walks up. We get some nice tender moments, humorous moments 
from them. But at the same time, we're learning a little bit more about what's going on here. There's a there's a dynamic. There's a parallel that's present here because Iki was basically trying to get away from her brother and sister. And so was Tenzin. So in this moment, they kind of bond over that. And they kind of it's a nice moment and we really get to see what, what what's going on there. And like I said, it was it was very lighthearted and it was funny. And I do believe that it is, in fact, going to lead to somewhere. Now, back to Cora and everything that's going on there. Uh, once again, her father is found guilty, um, no longer sentenced to death because Unalak puts on this performance in front of everyone, basically saying, no, don't put them to death. That's a bit too harsh, uh, etc. So the judge agrees. We're going to send them to the Northern Air Temple where they're just going to live out the rest of their days in prison. Obviously, if you know anything about Cora, she's not going to stand for that. So she takes it upon herself to basically chase down the judge, her and Naga. And Naga basically knocks over the vehicle and they threaten him. And he spills the truth. And the truth is, is that Unalak set everything up. He told the judge what to do. He told the judge what to say. He even set up his brother Tunrock years ago with the whole thing that occurred in the, the Northern Air Temple with him being banished and all of that kind of stuff. Turns out Unalak just wanted Tunrock out of the way so he can become the chief. Once again, not a huge surprise there. I think it was pretty obvious from the beginning that there was something about Unalak that wasn't quite right. Now, with that being said, I'm going to give the writers of this show a little bit more credit than that and say that it's not just him, that there has to be someone else pulling the strings behind this thing. Because like I said, they did make it very obvious from the beginning that Unalak was a bad guy. And usually that means that there's something else that's going to be a surprise. Now, what that's going to be, I don't know who that's going to be. I don't know if anyone has any theories on that. Once again, RepublicCityReport at gmail.com. Please send me your name and your location, um, not your address, just your, the state that you're in. Uh, and so I can give you that shout out when it's time to, to read your, your letter on air. But this is something that, you know, has been speculated the whole time. And we're hopefully we'll get to see where that leads and how it ties into the this book in the series spirits now as a result of all of this although early in the episode Cora had promised her father that she wouldn't do anything rash because like I said she had already decided she was going to bust him out of prison but you know that in, in general that only makes people seem guilty when that kind of thing happens and he's an honorable warrior so he did not want her to interfere but of course now that she knows the truth that this whole thing was orchestrated by Unalak from the beginning. She, Mako, Bolan, Asami, they decide we're going to storm the prison and free him and the other prisoners. Now, when she gets there, they're not there. And this is where they learn from Unalak that they've already on, they're already on the boat to the northern, air, uh, the northern water tribe. Uh, here we get a very nice exchange of dialogue between Korra and Unalak. And this is where it's basically revealed that Unalak is the bad guy. Now, he doesn't say it directly. I mean, it's it's even I would even say that it's vague enough to where 
if the writers did try to decide to spin it around later and make it so that he actually is a good guy, but his intent, the way he handles it is just a little weird, that they would probably still be able to do that. Because I don't, at this point, I don't necessarily feel like he is the bad guy, the villain of the series. But then again, what is this, episode four? Uh, they may want to kind of get to the point with that if he's not. But once again, we'll see what happens. But of course, in this point, we actually do get a miniature fight, which, as I said last episode, some of my favorite moments of this series is watching Korra fight. It wasn't a big fight. You know, some water thrown here, water thrown there, a little fire. Mako jumps in to help his girlfriend out, which I kind of wish, don't get me wrong. I appreciate the fact that they're sticking to the main story here and just driving the story along. But it's a little weird that we're not getting those side moments between Korra and Mako that we got in the first season. You know, we, we kind of actually got to see them fall in love in some ways. And there were these little moments. And now that they're actually together, we don't get those moments. Um, you know, once again, don't get me wrong. I don't want an entire episode dedicated to them on a date or anything like that. But don't forget about these things that you established and we want to I don't want to see their characters lose what's so unique about them because they're so busy going into the battle that that's all that matters because then at that point it doesn't matter who the supporting characters are it can just be a random waterbender number three you know but it's not it's Bolin, Mako, and Asami three of our main characters Let's get a little bit more of them and see what's going on. They kind of abandoned Asami's story where she's trying to rebuild her father's company. I mean, once again, we, I didn't need an entire episode on that, but we need to have that addressed because we don't want the supporting characters to just become generic people that are just there. And I feel like that's what's going on. Uh, like I said, a little bit less with Bolin. Things are about to get a little bit more interesting with him now. Uh, <laughs> the Eska basically told him that they were going to get married and, you know, comic relief and all of that. But now, of course, they're officially against her father. So one of the last things, shots that we see in the episode is her going into some kind of rage mode where she's just blasting across the ocean on like a wave of water. And that that was actually pretty cool because... You know, we've seen nothing from Desna and Esco. We've seen nothing but very nonchalant, uh, monotone, boring sort of personas. And it's funny, but we haven't seen anything too exciting. But now I think we're going to finally get to see that and maybe what these twins are really capable of in terms of being warriors, uh, which I think is going to make for a very interesting Dynamic, and I can't wait to see some epic fights take place because of it. Now, back on the Tenzin front, Tenzin finally returns Iki home to her mother and her siblings, and we get a brief little exchange of uh, Janora and and he was always the one that I could Milo. Get a brief explain, exchange between the three of them. You know, they're kids, so all is forgiven rather quickly, and then they're off to play airball again. But, you know, as a result of Tenzin spending that time with his daughter alone, it also made him realize how valuable his siblings were to him. 
So we also get a little makeup session between he, Kaya, and Boomy, which was very nice. Uh, and there was a picture that Kaya pulled out of Aang, Katara, and the three kids together. And as you know, once again, huge fan of Last Airbender. When we see those kinds of things, it's, it's going to bring a big smile to your face regardless. So, of course, at this point, with the help of Varric, who I haven't mentioned uh, much, Varric, of course, comic relief, very over the top sort of guy. Once again, reminds me a lot of J. Jonah Jameson from the Spider-Man universe. Uh, they actually go and get a boat and they're deciding to go and pursue the, the fleet that is taking the prisoners off to the Northern Water Tribe. And she's going to rescue her father. So through, you know, a span of events, she actually does manage to do that with some very cool water bending action and tag team stuff between her and Mako with the fire bending. You know, these battle sequences in this franchise, you know, you know, including The Last Airbender in that are some of the most well staged, choreographed, beautifully animated things about the show. And and I love that. I love when it's time to fight and it's let's take it from stage to stage to stage and the ideas come and then they pull something off. You know, one of my favorite uh, moments from the Airbender series is when um, Aang and, 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 and Katara and Sokka, they were all inside of a Fire Nation ship and they were trying to figure out how to take it down. So then they start to water bend the posts to try to I mean that that whole thing was just amazing I love when they are faced with a situation and have to figure out a way out of it because the process from start to finish is always very entertaining to watch so we got that once again here with them and of course the prisoners are rescued and at that point Cora does let her father know that hey you know Unalak was lying the entire time and all of that and etc and of course we get that in shot with Eska coming on over. Now, we're basically left with uh, Cora. You know, she's saying, "Okay, we're obviously going to. This is it's time for a civil war, and we're going to have to fight the Northern Water Tribe." And her father doesn't necessarily want her to be involved in it, and he tells her that the best thing that you can do in this situation is try and help and get the president of the United Republic involved and on their side so they can get the united forces involved so if you remember from season one we actually got to see commander iroh from the fire nation uh united the i'm sorry united forces come along and he came along toward the end so we didn't get to learn too much about him hopefully this will provide an opportunity for him to return for us to find out exactly who he is i mean he seems to be fire lord zuko's grandson named after Zuko's uncle Iroh you know we can assume that but I don't think they ever came out and said it word for word that that's who he who he who he was but obviously we want to see more of him because we want to know what happened to Zuko this brings me to another question that I want to ask you guys what happened to Zuko does anyone have any sort of idea suggestion is he dead did they say that he was dead if he's not then where is he um you know, Zuko was such an integral and very important part of the last Airbender franchise. I mean, just as much as Aang and anyone else, uh, because one of his story, his story was one of the most impressive 
because he actually had to go through a change. You know, he started off as a bad guy. You know, the first season or two, he's the basically the main antagonist. And by the end of this thing, he's fighting alongside Aang. You know, like he was one of my favorite characters and I want to know what happened to him. The funny thing is that if you look around on the Internet and there's actually a picture of this posted on the Facebook page, Republic City Report uh, on Facebook. I posted a photo that is an official photo from Nickelodeon that has all of our favorite characters from The Last Airbender as adults. Okay, and Zuko is in that picture. It's Zuko, Aang, uh, Katara and Toph Bayfong and Sokka and they're all standing there together so we get to see a grown up Zuko in that photo but as far as I know we have yet to see a grown up Zuko in Legend of Korra so the fact that they took the time to actually draw an adult I'm sorry when I say adult I mean Zuko was kind of an adult he wasn't necessarily a kid but an older version of Zuko the fact that they took the time to actually draw him probably means that they're planning to 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 show him to us at some point but at what point will that be and why you know hopefully maybe commander Iroh will come back in with united forces and through him we'll get to see a flashback of zuko and find out what happened to him which once again go to republic city report on facebook to see that photo uh it's it's amazing you know the way they drew him and everything it looks great i want to see more of that and find out what happened with that so who's ready for a listener email I'm going to read Henry's email, address his answers, questions, theories, and everything else in just a second. The Legend of Korra tells tales of epic adventure, magic, fantasy, philosophy, and most of all, fun. Find stories like these and much, much more at audible.com. For listeners of Republic City Report, Audible is offering a free audiobook download with a free 30-day trial that gives you the opportunity to check out their service. Just go to audibletrial.com slash awesomepods or visit us at awesomepods.com and click on the free trial link at the top of the page. Okay, so now it is time for a listener email. Once again, if you would like me to read one of your emails on air, Please take the time, send me an email at republiccityreport at gmail.com or go to the Facebook page, facebook.com slash republiccityreport. Uh, every episode I post, I, 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 I'm sorry, I pose questions um, and I prompt your responses and I welcome your responses so that I can bring it on air and we can talk about it and discuss it uh, and have a conversation about it. So once again, republiccityreport at gmail.com. And this is Henry's email. Henry is from Maryland, and Henry writes, I may sort of paraphrase your email a little bit, Henry, here, but I'm going to try to take it step-by-step uh, step and address everything that you put in, in the letter, okay? So, let's see. Uh, addressing my previous question, if you go back about two episodes, there was a question that I posed about Aang's age. Uh, I found that he was every time we saw Aang, he was at this consistent 40 year old age, which gave me the opinion that maybe he actually died as a 40 year old. And that's why we continuously saw him at that age. And that was pretty much just based on, uh, you know, other fictional stories that I've read. The mythology kind of changed the changes depending. But in most cases, if someone shows up as a ghost, they show up at the age that they died at. 
course, that doesn't necessarily apply to this show because with the spirit world and everything, there really is an infinite number of possibilities that could be here. But Henry's the first part of Henry's email is in regard to that. So he says, I think the reason why Aang passed away so early is that I think it actually takes a huge toll on the Avatar to actually use the Avatar state. And if I recall right, he used the Avatar state a lot throughout The Last Airbender. Also, when he took away Ozai's power, maybe energy bending takes a toll on yourself. And by that he means, you know, the end of the series, Aang took away Ozai's ability to bend. Um, also, he says that and he was sort of in cryogenic state for 100 years. So possibly like a combination of factors is what cut his life so short. OK, uh, all of those are very good theories, Henry. I mean, honestly, you know, any of those could be correct. or All of those could be correct. Uh, I don't remember specifically if there was a point where they said using the avatar state a lot would shorten your life. Um, that's not to say that that's not true. It's just to say that I don't specifically remember that. I mean, there were a lot of episodes in Avatar The Last Airbender. So that, that could be true and that could make sense. Though if that was something that was understood, you would think Korra would be a little bit more concerned and a little bit more uh, careful with how much she uses it. But I don't know. I mean, it's, it's totally possible. Uh, also, maybe when he did take away... Ozai's ability to bend as well as whoever else's abilities to bend that he may have taken out taken away through his life maybe that does also take a huge toll on you and and will make you die at a younger age you know once again these are all theories but they're good theories also he was in fact uh basically in a cryogenic state uh underwater frozen for 100 years so maybe that did take a toll on him and that made his life shorter also. Um, I really do hope that this is something that they address in the show. That way we don't have to theorize about it forever. Uh, but right now anything's possible and those are all possible good theories there. Now the next part of your email reads, it also got me thinking that the previous avatar appears the way the current avatar would subconsciously feel more relatable and more comfortable with. Now, what he means by that is that depending on who the current avatar is, maybe the previous avatar will appear to you in a form that will make you feel, like he said, more comfortable or less frightened or anything like that. Totally possible. Although, once again, I don't think that that's something that they specifically said. Uh, he, he also says, Aang saw Avatar Roku nearly the same age as Monk Gyatso and as a mentor. But this is just my theory on why Aang is like in his 40s when Korra sees him. Once again, Henry, great theory. There is no right or wrong answer. Uh, I do agree that that could be possible. Um, I just wish that they would tell us. <laughs> I really do wish that they would tell us. Uh, but that that is a very good theory. Also, you're right. Now, back to The Legend of Korra. I'm liking this season, not to say I didn't like the previous. I like the Mon and the steampunk city of the Republic. I think it kind of makes sense, though, because Ozai had airships and steamboats when everyone else had lowest tech compared to the Fire Nation last airbender. Uh, I believe, Henry, here you're talking about how Republic City is a little more industrialized and, um, and in terms of technology and everything than the previous show. Totally makes sense. It makes sense that I think the city would have come along this far in, in that amount of time. 
Um, you think it says here that I, I don't think Unalak is going to be the big bad guy. Now, um, whether or not he ends up being the big bad guy will remains to be seen. But right now, of course, he basically revealed himself as a bad guy in this episode. But as I stated earlier, um, I don't necessarily think that he's going to be the one pulling all the strings. So I think you are going to be right on that. But we will we will see. All right. Henry also writes, I think his ideas and goals will actually unite the South and the North, though he is given off an Emperor Palpatine vibe, which is what I stated, in, in my opinion, in previous episodes. And it's just too obvious. And I'd honestly be disappointed if he's the big bad guy. I think that maybe he's encountered a group of people who are actually trying to hurt the spirit world in the North. When his northern army shows up, he says the reason there is here, they're here is we need to protect it from people who would do the spirits harm. Now, I agree with that. Basically, what Henry's saying here is that his intentions are good, but his methods are bad. Right. That maybe he truly does believe that the spirits and everything is just unbalanced and that he needs to fix that for the greater good. But of course, what do they say? Right. The road to hell is paved with good intentions, right? So you could be right about that, that his intentions at, at, at its core are for the benefit. But, you know, when you're willing to hurt people, innocent people and everything to get to there, is it really, are you really doing the right thing? And I think that may be one of the issues that are addressed uh, in the series. Uh, let's see. You also say here that... Let me, let me go ahead a little bit. Um, here's a question that Henry posed. Where exactly did Asami go? She's been missing since she had that meeting with Varric. I don't see why the Southern Water Tribe Rebellion would hold her hostage. Maybe she's seen, overheard something at the banquet for Unalak. Now, of course, uh, you wrote this, this email before the latest episode had aired. And of course, in this episode, we got to see Asami. Now, we don't know where she was the entire time, but we do know that she's not, she hasn't been captured or anything. Uh, once again, that just kind of brings it back to what I was saying earlier. Let's explore Asami a little bit more. Uh, let's find out where she was. Let's find out what she was doing. But I'm just afraid that they've jumped into this main Civil War type of storyline so deeply in such a short time that if they were to deviate from that, and show anyone else's individual stories that it wouldn't make sense. And that is my fear. One of the beautiful things about The Last Airbender, if you remember, every now and then, they would just have an episode where they would follow one of the characters around. You remember, you know, Katara had her own episode, Sokka had his own episode, Appa even had his own episodes. When Appa was kidnapped, we got to see Appa and what he went through for an entire episode. And that was beautiful uncle iroh zuko they all got their own episodes now that was such a big world that they created that i it's just hard for me to see them doing that for the legend of Korra. uh definitely this season because i feel like they've they've already pushed the storyline in such a specific direction for this season that like i said if they were to deviate off of that it would be a little weird now but with that being said i would still be up for seeing it so if we can see an episode of Asami, uh, you know, even a little backstory on her, because obviously she has some training. You know, she wasn't just a pretty face. She could fight and everything like that. So it'd be nice to find out more about her. 
So hopefully we'll get to see that. But I'm basically pretty much reaching my time limit here. I just want to take a moment to say thank you so much for the support so far. If you've been enjoying this show, please leave me a positive rating on iTunes. Uh, it only takes about five minutes for you to sign in, click a few stars, and type something good about it. It'll go a long way in helping us out, as well as um, going on over to awesomepods.com. Of course, this podcast is a part of the Awesome Podcast Network, which you can also find on Facebook. Uh, we have a few podcasts. We talk everything from 80s movies to life to trivia to hero clicks. Uh, if you play that game, we have a podcast on for, for about everything. fits every age group, every demographic. So go over to awesomepods.com and check out the links and you can listen to all that stuff. Everything is free. While you're there, if you happen to be an Amazon shopper, which everyone is, everyone <laughs> everyone uses Amazon. Uh, Amazon also has a lot of Legend of Core merchandise and, Air, and Airbender merchandise there. While you're there at awesomepods.com, go ahead and click the Amazon link before you do your shopping. That will help us uh, get more exposure to our podcast and everything. So we really appreciate that. Now, once again, uh, next week, I'll be back with the next episode, of course, and we'll talk about the following episode of The Legend of Korra. So if you'd like your email to be read on air and me to answer your questions, or if you have any questions for me, once again, please send me an email at republiccityreport at gmail.com. Go over to the Facebook page. The Facebook page is pretty bare right now. I know this is a brand new podcast, so it's kind of hard for people to find these things. But please share the information with anyone who may be your friends and we can get a nice little core community going over there where we can talk about these things and I'll make more posts and post more questions. Right now, there's not many people on that page, so it hasn't been that active. But once again, go over there and take a look at that picture that I posted of uh, our airbender friends as grown-ups and while you're there go ahead and leave me a comment and let me know what you think about the show okay so for this week that's all so for republic city report guys until next time i'm tim bridgewater bender and i'll see you soon Facebook.com slash awesome pods and follow us on Twitter at awesome pods.